0: If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, and you need a friend with a Bible, go scooch next to someone who does. Let's them. The, we're doing John. So normally we're going through Mark, but today we're going through 1 John. It's a special one. Are you serious? I am serious. <laughs> Sorry. So if you don't know what 1 John is, it's towards the end. 1 John... Chapter 4, First John chapter 4, does anyone need a handout, everybody have a handout? Alrighty, Everyone, first John, alright. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read the passage, it's very short, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to learn from God's word together, okay? Now, today's sermon is going to be a little bit interesting, because I'm going to ask questions, and I'm going to have you raise your hand, and I'll call on you to answer, okay? Okay! Okay? I'm going to raise my hand All right, so let's practice. Um, what is your name? All right, excellent. Good job. All right, you can talk when I call on you, okay? All right, let's read First John chapter 4, First John chapter 4. Verse 10, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love, that you loved us before the world began. We confess we don't deserve any of your love, but we ask would you help us to cherish it to treasure it, to appreciate, Lord, what you have done. We thank you so much, um, Lord, for this time. I thank you so much for every kid here, every staffer here, Lord. I pray that you bless us as we meditate upon your great love for your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I have um, two younger brothers. Their names are Grant and Greg. And they're four years younger than me. And they are twins, identical twins. Uh, When they were like four years old, one of their favorite games to play with me was the Y game. It was something like this. What are you doing, Keith? I'm playing Game Boy. Why? Because it's fun. Why? Because I like catching all the Pokemon. Why? I don't know. You can like level them up and stuff and you know, make them evolve. Why? Uh, that's how the game works. Why? Because that's how the people made it. Why? I, I don't know, man. Like, why? What do you mean, I don't know why? Why? <laughs> Now, I I hated this game. I hated this game so much. But I'm pretty sure, to tell you the truth, they learned this game from me because this is exactly the same game I would play with our parents. That's what you call irony. Okay. (laughs) Um, So just because the why game isn't fun doesn't mean the question why is a bad question. In fact, today, I think it's actually one of the most important questions we could ever ask. And we're going to ask the question why does God love us? Why does God love us? Now, if you've been to Christian church, I'm sure and I surely hope you've been told that God does love you. Right? What's the most famous verse that everyone rises? So so yeah, great. John three sixteen. If you couldn't hear that, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? Who's ever heard that verse before? Lots of people. Cool. If you haven't before, that's great. Welcome. Now you know the most famous Bible verse in the whole world. At the heart of the gospel, and by gospel I mean the good news of salvation, is God's love. Right? He loved the world. He gave his son. Whoever believes in his son will not perish. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to ask you, why does God love us? And I'm thinking particularly of his fatherly love for his people, his fatherly love for his people, his Christians, his children. It's this love that gives salvation and eternal life. So, why does God love us? The question is a lot deeper than you think. Number one, does God love us because we're good? Does God love us because we're good? Now, we have a basic instinct, right? When we do something good, we expect to receive something good. From the moment you're born to today, you have been trained and taught to believe that if I do good, I will receive good. Your mom says to you, if you listen to mommy and eat your broccoli, I will give you ice cream, right? If you're good today, then you'll get more screen time. If you do well on this test, you'll get a gold sticker or, I don't know, be able to get out of class early or something, right? It's ingrained in us. We're trained to believe that when we do good, we will receive good and Inversely, if we do bad, we expect to receive bad. But is that why God loves us? The Bible says we're not good people. Romans chapter 5 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, that's bad people, Christ died for us. So when did God love us? When we were good? No. It clearly says when we were sinners. When we were sinners. When we were sinners, then Christ came for us because of God's great love. To be a sinner means to love sin, to be a slave to sin, to have no power to fight against sin. Sin is rebelling against God. It's spitting in God's face. It's hating God in all his ways. To be a sinner means that you're God's enemy. And yet God loved us. So my question I'm asking is, does God love us because we are good? Does God love us because we are good? And to even ask that question actually implies something terrible about God. And let me show you why. Let's say you overheard some parents today, you know, after youth group, and they're talking about kids. And some of the parents says, oh, why do I love my kids? You know, I love Eve because she's so smart. Or, I love Mary because she's so pretty. Or, I love Joseph because, you know, he's such a great kid. What if your parents said that about you? That'd be terrible. That'd be terrible. Because that means, if they really believe that, the reason for their love for you is you. And that means they really only love your grades, your prettiness, your goodness. Now, think of it if you stopped being pretty or good. Bad grade on a math test, kicked out of the family. One pip on your face, kicked out of the family. One act of disobedience, kicked out of the family, right? That's terrible, right? I don't want parents like that. Now, I'm sure your actual parents, not these terrible parents I made up, are very proud of what you have done, right? Your accomplishments, your achievements, they're very happy for you when you succeed. That's fine. That's all good and well. But that's not the reason they love you. That's not the foundation for why they love you. It can't be, right? It can't be. Love can't be circumstantial. It can't be bought. But who's a better parent? Your parents or God? Obviously, God. He is the perfect Heavenly Father. And he does love his people. He does love us far more than our parents ever could. But not because we're good. We're not good. God loved us when we were sinners. Now, we talk about sin a lot. I think it's really important for Christians to understand but I want to use actually a different illustration than I normally would give to try to understand sin a little bit better. Think of sin as owing someone money. Now imagine with me. Every curse word you say costs you $5. You owe God now $5. Every evil thought, another $5. Every time you complain, $10. Every lie, $15. Every angry word against your family members, yes, including your younger sister, $25. $25. If you cheat on a homework assignment or a test or help someone else to cheat, $50. Every time you disobey your parents or every time you ignore your parents or every time you pretend to ignore your parents, $100. And every moment you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, $1,000. Now think about it. Think about it your life. It wouldn't take long to have a really big debt, right? You'd, earn, you'd owe God a ton of money. So would I. We fail, I fail to honor God as he deserves. I fail to trust him as he deserves. I fail to love him as he deserves. Now think of your whole life accruing this debt and all that you owe to God. Hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, trillions, an infinite amount of debt owed to God. That's a picture of sin. We're guilty sinners, debtors before God. And yet, he loves us. And yet he loves us, not because we're good, we're not good, not because we give him gifts, nothing we could give enough to God, but even when we owed him a gazillion dollars because of our sin. He loved us while we were sinners. That's amazing. That's amazing. So now I want you to raise your hand. Does God love us because we're good? Becky? No. No. Okay. Great. Good job. <laughs> so that can't be the reason why God loves us. Number two, question number two, does God love us because we do good? Does God love us because we do good? Maybe we say to ourselves, um, I'll ask you the question. I'll ask you to raise your hand um, when it's when a question I want you to raise your hand for. So not right now. But thank you for raising, thanks for t- participating. So maybe we say to ourselves, we could, you know, do good things to make up for our badness. You know, pay God back for our sins, and, and then God will love us, right? But the Bible says in Titus 3 that God saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. So, to make it simpler. But God saves us not because of good things we've done, but according to his mercy. According, according to his mercy. Salvation is a gift that God gives. It's not something we earn. God loves his people because he is merciful. Merciful means he's compassionate. He's full of loving, loving feelings even towards us. It's not because we've done good things. God's love is not built on the foundation of what you are or what you could do. God's love is built on the foundation of who God is and what he has already done. Romans 3 even says that there is no one good, not even one. Right, so, okay, anyone think that they're an exception to that? Good. There's no one who does good, not even one. Meaning that, before God, even our really good things that we think are good are worthless. They're not good to him. Now, remember how I compared our sin to a debt we owe God? I actually got that picture from Jesus. Jesus uses a parable in Matthew 18 to talk about a man who owed a debt to a king. Matthew 18 says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts, that means resolve debts, get rid of debts, with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, you guys know what a talent is, right? It's like a skill or like a, you know, something you can do. In the Bible, that's not what talent means. So throw it out the window, okay? It's not like, oh, I can play piano. It's a talent. That's not how the Bible, what the Bible means when it means talent. In the New Testament, a talent is a lot of money. It's, it's a denomination of money. And it's actually around 15 years worth of money. So 15 years worth of labor equals one talent. I mean, that's more than like most of you have been alive, right? So that's a, lo- a lot of money. 10,000 talents, therefore, is 150,000 years of labor. Go back to the slave. So the slave owes 150,000 years of labor to this king, verse 25. But since the slave didn't have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground. He prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you everything. Now, what the slave is saying is insanity, right? 150,000 lifetimes, excuse me, 150,000 years to pay off his debt. I mean, who's ever lived 150,000? No one. Except for the trolls, no one, right? No one can live that long. No one can pay off that kind of debt. So when the slave is saying, hey, I'll I'll work, have patience with me, I'll repay you everything, he's really promising something that's impossible. Impossible. In the same way, it's impossible for us to earn or deserve God's love. Our debt is too great. There's nothing we can do to make him love us. And yet, he loves us. So questions. Okay, so raise your hands for these. Does God love us because we are good? Andrew. No. No, we are not good. We are sinners. Does God love us because we do good things? Nathan. No. No. We can never do enough good things. Even our good things are tainted. So, why does God love us? Number three, does God love us because he has to? I mean, again, I hear you, right? Maybe you say, well, maybe God just loves us because, you know, that's like his job. He's God, right? He's supposed to love people. But again, that actually says something terrible about God. The Bible says in Psalm 135 that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth and the seas... And in all deeps, meaning that God does whatever He wants all the time. There's no government that gives Him rules to follow. There's no cops that make Him fear if He's gonna get in trouble. He doesn't, like, oh, do it because He's supposed to, right? He's not afraid of getting someone pushing Him or forcing Him to do something. There are no other gods that rival Him. God does whatever He pleases all the time. And whatever He wants to do, He does. He's never forced to do anything. Whatever he does, he wants to do. Make sense? So nothing can force God. No one is stronger than God. So we ask, wait, wait. What did, God, what did God choose to do for us? He loved us. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Again, think with me about, you know, some parents hanging out after youth group, and you overhear them. You, say, you hear them say, oh, why do I love Adam? I love Adam just because I have to. It's my job. Like, I'm his mom. No one else is going to take care of him, so I have to do it. Or I love Barnabas because I've got no one else to love. He's my only son. I really need someone to make me feel better about myself, right? Or maybe I love Julia because if I don't, she'll just cry all the time, and I don't want to deal with that. Like, it's the worst. What would you think of these parents? Right? Terrible. Terrible. They would, quote, unquote, love you or love their kids because they have to. It's an apathetic, unexcited, lazy, lame love, quote-unquote love. We'll only do it because we have to. We'll only do it because we'll get in trouble if we don't. We'll only love because of duty. These parents deserve an award. And the trophy would say, worst parents ever, right? Now, let's be clear. Your parents are sinners, just like us. They do struggle to love you on some days. That's why they sin. And you haven't figured that out by now. Um, welcome to a simple world. Or even, yes, your parents are sinners, right? But only because you have to love is not the kind of love that good parents have for their children. Love is free and generous. It's devoted and kind. It's full and genuine. Good parents don't do this perfectly, but they do do it truly. Right? Have any of your parents ever asked you, hey, you know, I fed you your whole life. I've clothed you your whole life. So I want you to pay me back when you get a job. You know, I'm going to run it all down. You know, this shirt costs $10. This meal costs $10. You've got to pay me back when you get older. No, right? That's ridiculous. Parents don't do that. They will never ask you to pay you back for all that they give you, and you never even could. They literally birthed you into the world. They give, and they give, and they give out of joy, out of delight, out of love. They love you simply because you're their son, or because you're their daughter. It's because you are theirs. Now, who's the better parent? Your parents or God. God. His love is free and overflowing. It's not small and weak. He's not forced to love because he has to, but he loves because he wants to. So, raise your hands again. Does God love us because we're good? Ben. No. no. We're not good. We're sinners. Does God love us because we do good things? No. Brandon. No. We never could do enough things for him to make him love us. Does God love us because he has to? Sarah, no, he loves us because he wants to. So, why does God love us? Now, here's a question that maybe you expected. Does God love us because Jesus died? Does God love us because Jesus died? I mean, if you've been in like a children's ministry, right, the answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus, the Bible, or God, right? It's one of those three. In this case, the answer is no. God does not love us because Jesus died. Now all the staff are kind of like freaking out, like, "Whoa, this Keith is crazy!" All right, stay with me. Stay with me. Now, you you should be in the Bible, right? In 1 John chapter four, verse ten. 1 John chapter four, verse ten. We finally get to our text. Says this: "And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins." So let's walk through this in, de- in detail. First, "And this is love." Not that we love God, but that he loved us. This sets up the order of God's love. Who loves first, you or God? God. God did, right? God loves first, and then we respond to his love. It's not the other way around. We don't earn God's love. We don't love God first. God loves first. He's the one that starts the love. This also sets the priority of God's love. Whose love is greater, God's or yours? Obviously God's, right? Think, think of it this way. What is brighter, the sun or the moon? The sun, clearly. If you haven't tried, look at the sun and look at the moon, and your eyes will hurt when you look at the sun. But where does the moon get its light from? From itself? It's just like a star, you know? We have two stars in our solar system? No, from the sun, obviously. It's reflecting, right? In this analogy, we are like little moons. And what we do is we reflect the brightness of God's light His love shines, and at our very best, all we're doing is reflecting the love that he has first given to us. We should not be delusional or crazy and think, oh, I'm shining so bright because I'm awesome. No, we shine bright because God has loved us first. If we are loved by him, then we can love like he loves. But if we don't receive his love, we cannot love. This is an important thing. God loved us first. Next part. God loved us, and he sent his son. Notice here that loved is past tense, right? God loved us and sent his son. It doesn't say this. It does not say Jesus died and then God loved us. It says God loved us and then he sent Jesus to die for us. So what comes first? God's love or the cross? God's love. His love is what motivated him to send Jesus. His love is what put Christ on the cross. God loved first, and that matters because that means there's no circumstance, no change that made God love us. He always loved his people. In his eternality, there's no beginning and no end of his love. Now we to the third part. Christ died to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is one of those, like, super big words that no one uses. Like, even adults don't use that. It's an English word that means a sacrifice, a death, a death that takes the punishment that we deserve for sin. We deserve to die eternally as punishment for our rebellion against God because we're his enemies. But Christ died in the place of sinners for sin, so that whoever believes in him would be forgiven. Christ drank up our hell and our death in order to give us heaven and life. The cross is the greatest display of God's anger against sin, but also his love for sinners. Therefore, does God love us because Jesus died? No. Rather, Jesus' death is the proof of God's love for us. As Romans 8 says, which we already read, God demonstrates his love towards us. He proves his love. He shows his love for us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is God's plan, birthed out of his great love. He loved us, therefore he made a way of salvation. He loved us, and therefore he sent Christ. But again, now we're back where we started. Why Why does God love us? God does not love us because we're good. We're not good. God doesn't love us because we do good. We don't do good. God doesn't love us because he has to. No one forces God to do anything. And God doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. God's love precedes the cross. So now there's a question, right? Why does God love us? The answer is number five. God loves us because of himself. God loves us because of himself. God's love flows from who he is. He's the fountain of life, of eternal joy, of love. He loves because he is. First John 4 8 says that God is love. Not that God is loving or God has loving things to do sometimes, but God is love. Exodus 34 says that God is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. Hey, Nathan, can you stop playing with that? Thank you. We don't deserve that kind of love from him. Nothing pushes God to love us, and yet he loves us simply because he loves us. Now, remember in Jesus' parable, the slave owed 150,000 years of labor, right? In continuing that parable, Matthew 18, the slave says, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the king, the lord of that slave, felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, this is insane. The king just forgave him. That's the equivalent of thousands of lifetimes of debt. If you calculate it in our terms, that's about four billion dollars. The king says, "I forgive you. You're free." Right? Now think with me. Why would that king do that? Is it because you know the king was really good? Me, the slave was a really good slave? Obviously not. How do you the four billion dollar debt? Like the, that's in, I don't know how to, how you do that. Was it because, you know, the slave was, you know, doing such good things for the king, and the king was like, oh, yeah, I really appreciate that? No. Was it because the slave just, I don't know, tricked the king? (laughs) No. It's because the king wanted to. He didn't have to. He wanted to. It's because the king was good. It's because the king was compassionate. It's because the king is who he is. Let me use another illustration. Why do your parents love you? Is it because, you know, when you're born, you're so useful? You know, like, oh, my gosh, like, he's cleaning the house, and, like, she's, like, making the bed, and, like, I love this kid. No, right? All you did when you are a kid, when you are a baby, rather, is cry, eat, poop, and sleep, usually in that order of some sort. Now, do your parents love you now because you're perfect? No. Do your parents love you because, you know, you do everything that they couldn't do for, for them? You cook all the meals and, you know, clean the house and drive people everywhere? No. Do your parents love you because of anything in you? No. No. They love you simply because they love you. Because they are your parents. Out of their love for one another, you came into being. That's why you exist. And out of their love, they continue to love you. They prayed for you before you were born that God would give them a child. They prayed for you before you even had a name that God would bless you and save you. They loved you from when you were even a little helpless crying baby. They loved you from that first day all the way until today. And have every intention of loving you until their last breath. They demonstrate their love over and over. The reason why you ate today is because of your parents. The reason why you got here to youth group is because of your parents. They still pray for you. They still bring you everywhere because no one of you can drive yet. And they still want what is best for you. I don't know if you realize that, how much your parents love you. Now, I know some of you here actually don't know your biological parents. You've been adopted. And I would say to you, you're especially loved. Because your parents, your adopted parents, probably worked about, I don't know, 10,000 times harder to get you than if you had natural parents. They wanted you. Some of them literally flew across the whole world just to get you. You have the great blessing of being adopted because adoption points to God's love for his people. As good as many of your parents are, and I know them, and I think they're great parents, God's a better parent, He's the best father. He's the source and the fountain of all love. Although every person here was born a child of wrath, every one of us who believed in Jesus Christ have been adopted by God to be made a child of God. None of us are born Christians. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you've been adopted by the God who loves. He loved us before we knew him. He loved us and made a way for us to enter his family, namely by Jesus Christ. He's our adoptive heavenly father. Why does God love us? It's because of who he is. It's because of who he is. Think with me about certain uh, facts or attributes about God. God is eternal, right? He's not like us. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't get, he's not, wasn't young like a long time ago, and he's older now. He's eternal. His love, therefore, was before time began. Ephesians 1 says that he loved and chose his people before the foundation of the world. That is, before creation even began. God is also all-powerful, meaning that God can do whatever he pleases. His love, therefore, conquers all. Romans 8 says that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is also unchanging, meaning he doesn't just like change his mind, like, oh, I'm going to do this one day, oh, never mind, I'm going to do this over here. He's always the same. He always keeps his promises, and his love never fails. Psalm 136 says over and over again, for his loving kindness. Is everlasting. God is perfect. Therefore, his love is perfect. It's whole, complete. The Father loved us even as he loved his Son, Jesus. God's love is like a fountain. It's like an overflowing stream that endlessly, boundlessly bubbles up to eternity. He's generous and lavish and abundantly good towards his children. His love is whole and free. It's complete. It's unrestricted. That means he doesn't like measure out his love. Like I'm gonna go, like you know two units of love to Nathan and like four units of love to Elijah because I, I like him better than Nathan or something like that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't measure his love, for it can never run out. He also is not reluctant to love people. Like oh man, I just gotta love Keith today. He's being like a really bad kid. But I uh, I guess I'm gonna do it. No, right? He loves his kids. He delights to love his kids. He also doesn't love in proportion to how good we are, or how bad we are. For he not we, is the foundation of his love. He himself is the foundation of his love. So what does it mean for us? I have five applications. Um, you don't have to write them all down, but just listen. It means, dear Christian, you're beloved. You're beloved. You're loved by God. That's amazing. We're terrible sinners. We don't deserve this kind of love from God, and yet he loves us truly, freely, excitedly, purely. Purely. That's why Paul practically shouted from the the housetops, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the kind of God that loves you, Christian. You should therefore love him in return. Second, Christian, all the persons of God love you God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's not like God the Son kind of like twisted God the Father's arms and said, "Oh, you got to love him now cuz I died for him," right? No. The Father planned, the Son accomplished, the Spirit reveals this great plan of love to us. It's impossible to love. It's impossible for God to love you more than he already does. Third, dear Christian, God's love doesn't depend upon you. When you sin, when you fail, when you're suffering, you might feel like God loves you less, but you're wrong. You're wrong. God loves us because he loves us, right? That means we can experience and enjoy his love because his love never changes. What can take us away from God? Who's going to be stronger than God? No one. Fourth, dear Christian, God will never stop loving you. If God loved you before creation, he will not fail to love you in this life and forget about you somewhere. He loves you even when you're not paying attention to the sermon. He loves you because he's dependent upon himself. Fifthly, God's love defines you. Who's ever gone to school and felt like everyone hated them? I have. Who's ever gone to school and felt like you had no friends? I have. Who's ever been on a soccer team and felt like, man, you're like the worst player on the field? Right? Yeah. I've been there. But what do you think? Does God love you better because you're a great soccer player? Or love you worse because you're a terrible soccer player? No. God loves you completely, and he heals you, and he makes you whole. You have a hope that lasts for eternity. You have a confidence to face anything. If you're a Christian, God cannot love you more. He will not love you less. He loved you before time began, and he will never stop loving you all the way to eternity. There's no love like his. So now I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you to answer out loud. Everyone. Does God love us because we're good? No. Does God love us because we do good? No. Does God love us because He has to? No. Does God love us because Jesus died for us? No. So, why does God love us? He loves us because He's God. He loves us because of Himself. He loves us because He loves us. First John 4 says, And this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you don't know this God, if you're not a Christian, you don't know this love. You're outside of this love. It does not apply to you. You're not his child. You're somewhere away from him. You've run away, and you have no idea what this means. But he invites you to come. He invites you with all mercy and compassion with his arms open wide to come to him and enjoy his love. His love is boundless and free. He welcomes anyone who would come to him, anyone who would believe in him. Do you see that without this love, you're empty? You have nowhere to stand. You have no one to truly love you. You're helpless and hopeless. You need Christ. You need his love for you. So come and rest and find joy in his perfect love. That means very simply, you stop living for yourself. You say, God, I'm done living for Keith. I'm done living things, doing things my way. What I want to live for you. Forgive me of my sins because Jesus died for me. You need to believe that you can't save yourself, that you can't make God love you, that you're powerless to do good things, to pay the debt for your sin, but you need to trust that Christ died in your place for your sins, and that because of him, you're forgiven. You need to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose for your salvation. You need to know that you're truly a sinner, but that God truly loves sinners. He loves the broken, the guilty, the dirty, even you. Right? You need to trust in him and give all that you are to him because he gave everything up for you. This is the God who loves us, and this is the God that we get to love. Pray with me. How deep, Father, is your love for us. No words could ever tell how great and how wide, how strong and how enduring, Lord, is your love. We thank you that we see this love surely, completely, fully, Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to meditate upon him and to love, Lord, the fact that he died, that he rose, that we could be with you forever. Father, thank you for these kids. I thank you so much for your love for them And I pray, Lord, you show them the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's perfect name we pray. Amen.